Hi, Nate. Hey, Tom. Why did the Waymo car go to therapy? So it's got a fire inside it doesn't know how to put out. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something like because it has problems being internally motivated. <laughs> I don't know exactly what you're going by this. And we're just going to roll with it. So welcome to the retort, everyone. This week, we're going to start talking on where the future is heading with generational divides and the embrace of AI. Um, Tom's going to read us a paragraph from The Verge about long histories of vandalism and rejection of technology and society. Although we kind of want to have a debate about this little piece of news. To summarize the news, a bunch of people vandalized and then proceeded to light on fire a Waymo car in SF late at night a few days ago. Tom and I are a little different on what we think it means. He's a little bit more on the metaphor side. I, I, it's just not. It's just really a yikeser moment. Like, <laughs> like we're really having Waymo cars being lit on fire now. Like these things are not the problem. Cruise is all but dead. Fortunately, the the update on the cruise story from the Hard Fork podcast was pretty good, which is essentially in the breakdown of it. Cruise didn't show the fact that the car dragged this woman that it hit secondarily like 20 feet to the SF transportation board and then that's why the SF transportation board came down so hard on them because they essentially like didn't share with them this obviously crucial information Mm -hmm. and Cruise has had quite the falling out like like half the company their funding got cut in half from GM and stuff which is really wild but Waymo's fine Waymo's hasn't had their major issue yet. They've been plugging along. The car getting lit on fire is not a major issue. I don't know. Tom, what do you, what do you think about this? You yeah, have deeper thoughts. <laughs> let, let's get into it. So we'll, we'll go into what, first of all, neither of us was there. At least I wasn't. I don't know if Nate was. Nate was closer to it than I was uh, on the West Coast. I was not anywhere near it. Uh, we'll go into it. I think it's interesting. We'll zoom out in a way that I think is different than the way this has been talked about and hopefully more insightful. So what happened We're not was, commenting on SF politics. <laughs> we'll, we'll, not intentionally. We'll, we'll, <laughs> every, everything is political one way or another. We'll, we'll see where it goes. This happened... Okay, this was reported in on February 11th, which was three days ago. So first of all, happy Valentine's Day. We are recording this on on Valentine's Day, on on Hump Day. It'll be a little bit delayed. But this was reported on February 11th, so that would have been Sunday. It happened, according to the report I'm reading, the event in question happened around 9 p.m. Pacific time the, the day before, so I guess that would have been midnight Eastern time. What happened to the, you know, according to what was reported and according to also, of course, what was filmed, because these days things like this kind of play out in real time. I'm quoting from The Verge here. What happened was a person jumped on the hood of a Waymo driverless taxi and smashed its windshield in San Francisco's Chinatown. So that's 
It's just, that's an interesting order of words right there. But yeah, this happened in Chinatown. Apparently one person starts this. This then generates applause before a crowd formed around the car and covered it in spray paint. So this is apparently an order of what happened. It was spray painted. They, the crowd then broke its windows. <laughs> Who had spray paint walking around on the street? <laughs> you know, like you got to be ready. You, you always got to be ready for you don't know what kind of day you're going to have. <laughs> That's how you protect yourself from the AI overlords. You carry paint around so you could paint yourself and then it won't be able to see you. This is a funny... Because you don't look human. So shout out to my, I believe, eighth grade science teacher, Mr. Nostrant, who one of his mantras was that any problem in life can be solved or made solvable with duct tape. This was his view. And so he often encouraged us to whatever problem we were facing, whether it was an interpersonal fight or we couldn't get an experiment to work or something else. He was like, I mean, maybe duct tape would have you considered using duct tape. So spray paint maybe is playing that kind of a role here. Anyway, people started spray painting it. Then they break its windows, and and this is according to The Verge, ultimately set it on fire. Fire department arrives. By then, it's, it's, it's kind of almost wistful the way they wrote this. But by then, flames had already fully engulfed the car. It's too late. Can't resuscitate. <laughs> this <laughs> Dead on arrival. <laughs> it's dead on arrival. Or, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting... You know, how do you, what do you, what kind of triage do you do on an automated vehicle? That's an interesting question. That's, that's getting into metaphysics. We can't address that here. So anyway, then there's some kind of boilerplate text of like responses from the company. As the piece goes on, it, it gets kind of, in my view, more and more hyperbolic. So then there's this, it's like, well, there's this larger context here. There's this back, as they wrote, backdrop of simmering tension between San Francisco residents and automated vehicle operators. Talks about how the DMV, the state DMV, had 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 previously suspended Cruz's robo taxi operations. Okay, so his name mentioned Cruz is technically still alive, unlike this Waymo car, <laughs> but also possibly terminal. Yeah, Waymo has had their their provisional access expanded, mm-hmm. so it's now beyond SF. Yeah. I don't know the date when that goes into effect. But you could take a Waymo from SF to South Bay pretty soon. Mm-hmm. That might be the preferred way to get to South Bay from the East Bay is to take the BART and then a Waymo. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> get it. Like Caltrain. I think this geofencing stuff is important. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit. It, it gives some other examples of like some one-off collisions. You know, Waymo is not, you know, a kind of saint on this. I did like, hear about Waymo hitting a bicyclist. So that which it does mention it, that like, here. Yeah. That's, that's bigger news to me than this but anyway awesome. we keep going it's it's the last paragraph this is this this whole article is only five paragraphs but each one is sort of more and more soapboxy let's just say than the last this last paragraph is what caught me so i'm quoting here the text vandalism and defacement are time-honored parts of the human experience seen in subway cars in new york city or the walls of the ancient destroyed city of pompeii Tech companies have been forced to reckon with this inevitability as they deploy their equipment in public with impunity. Scooters get tossed into lakes, cars are punched by pedestrians, and in some places, dockless bike share bikes are destroyed en masse. (laughs) Each of those has a hyperlink to some particular instance of it. But I like how it's like both 
very specific in drawing these data points together, but also very general. It doesn't say where this, so when it says in some places, my, my understanding from the article it links to is that that's specifically in France. This isn't sort of like a, a trend that we're seeing across the board with these things. But anyway, they're, they're, they're apparently also according to it's, this report. It's restricted primarily to Berkeley's campus in France. It is a regular sentiment on Berkeley's campus when there is a constant cycling of the various scooter companies in our years there for people to say, oh, should we ride this one off into the bay? Nothing to lose. So, right. <laughs> We're going to, it is sort of, a, I described this to Nate before we started recording as a, as a kind of pregnant case study. When things like this happen, there's always this urge to hyperbolize because you, we don't, you don't immediately know what the context is here. You don't immediately know what to compare it to. The Verge is comparing it to time-honored parts of the human experience. I wouldn't say that if I was writing this article. <laughs> I'm not sure if it can be tied to that level of generality, and I'm also not sure that it's like even the paragraph's if... going to be extended to like famous art vandalism cases, <laughs> right? I mean, like, a, is this going to get quoted in like cases down the road? Anyway, even if you could analogize to the human experience, like from vandalism, I don't know if it's time honored. That's 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 a very odd thing to say. But anyway, the the verge has gone with this way of thinking about it. So. I agree with Nate. There is this tradition. So we've previously kind of dunked on Stanford a little bit. We had a we had a kind of episode about South Bay Community College and its efforts <laughs> to define transparency in what I think we both saw as a problematic way. <laughs> and we we've already had that discussion, so I'm not going to repeat it here. But we were sort of coming off, I think, as very cow friendly in that episode. And it needs to be, you know, we need to, I think we need to pull back the veil a little bit on a campus culture that we both experienced. I don't know we, if we experienced it the same way. That's actually also an interesting thing we could briefly discuss. Probably not. Because I was originally in sociology at Berkeley, which is yeah, sort of like proper. I'm in like the freaking bubble. <laughs> in retrospect, I was like asking for it in terms of this like you know, out of the frying pan into the fire type experience. So yeah, there was this, as I experienced it, there was a culture on campus of every semester at some point. So maybe on a time delay of like four to six months, there was some kind of civic foment that needed to express itself. I kind of always experienced this as there was usually some national controversy. So when I first arrived at Berkeley, this would have been 2013 or maybe 2014. I, I was fall 2013 is when I arrived there. But soon after I got there was when the kind of foment around gender neutral bathrooms kind of became a thing nationally. So there was a huge controversy in North Carolina it, it became a subject of discussion at lots of universities. And at Berkeley, this took a very specific form that, to be clear, in no way impacted me, except to the extent that there were certain kinds of, yeah, how can I say this? Mechanisms for showing that you were acting or committed in solidarity to people who were engaging in certain kinds of foment. And that was very much something that did define my early Or like experience. the one that I remember is like Ben Shapiro or some 
some other person visiting campus and then then you need the swap please this is the this is the really famous one that went national yeah yeah so that's that, we don't we don't yeah. do we need to cover all of it well i think i think it's i think what's significant there i don't want to relitigate that event and i think actually it was the oh milo Yiannopoulos? Yeah, that's was that, the one. That was yeah. the original. I don't even one. know who that is. Oh, it, I, I mean, I think now he's a nobody. It doesn't. We're not going to get into the details of that. But I think, I think though, that what people nationally were not understanding and internationally about that was that those high-profile cases were happening on this like four to six-month pressure valve kind of ecosystem, where like there's a certain kind of energy, and frankly, I won't name names, but a certain profile of participants who every so often want to step out there. They kind of want to engage in that kind of energy. There have been lots of other examples of this. The the Milo and Ben Shapiro ones were the really, really high profile ones. But this was a regular occurrence of at least once a semester at Berkeley. I actually recall, and this is relevant, there was a startup that was developing. Nate, you probably saw these as I did. These like little miniature autonomous the Kiwi bots delivery is that what they were called? Yeah, these delivery oh, those cars. things are awesome. Right, they're like and little they're little coolers on wheels that exactly. pop open when their dull foods there. They're probably <laughs> about they're about double the size of like the kind of like remote control cars that I grew up with. But they're small. yeah, they're like two the, shoe boxes top stacked on top of each other or something. The idea was something like. If you're in a dorm and you're high, or it's late at night and you want the money, you have the munchies or something like that, you can like order for one of these things to deliver fruit. Anyway, that was like a thing. So there were like a few years when that was a relatively common occurrence. You would see these things, and I, I always just thought it was kind of quirky and funny. There was one day when one of these cars, apparently coming back from a late night of serving, with with without thanks or gratitude to the undergraduate student body. It was on Sproul Plaza, which is the center of the center of the campus, also where originally the free speech movement, and that was kind of the epicenter of it in the 60s. The car stops and explodes. <laughs> it, it just spontaneously combusts. Mm-hmm. And it, so, that, so that was not vandalism. It just happened. It happened sort of intrinsically. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm sure that the team behind it did you know their own diagnostics of what was going on there. But what was interesting about that case, and there is reporting about this, we can link to it in the show notes, I think, is that the bystanders who saw this happened, at first, I think we're just in shock, just sort of looking at it, and then later began to like leave flowers and engage in this kind of like, spontaneous, almost mourning on behalf Where the of flowers the at for my Waymo, my friend the Waymo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, again, and we can, we can, I think it's what, what, what happens? What is going on when things like this happen? So in that case, people are mourning something that spontaneously combusts. This was years ago and that was on campus. Then in this, in this other case in San Francisco in Chinatown, the car, the Waymo car has nobody in it, right? Which I'm sure you know, factored into the calculus of like whether or not people are going to fuck with it. <laughs> but they're like, okay, this thing is, this thing is ready to go. This thing is ready to roll. We're gonna, we're gonna mess, we're gonna mess up its day, as as my Appalachian father would say. We're gonna, we're gonna get its day ruined. <laughs> and somebody starts, somebody starts doing that, and then there's this cascading. 
there's this cascading thing where like, like one person starts doing it, then the crowd cheers, then the crowd starts doing it. It snowballs until they start spray, spray painting is funny. Then they let it on fire. So my stance on this, we you can always point to like, to what extent is this the Bay Area being the Bay Area? Is this just like... Just humans being humans is my take. That's also <laughs> the Verge's take, apparently, yes. Is this human nature? Is this something more specific like gentrification, right? And how that can play out in a kind of single interpersonal dynamic or situation. You know, I think my kind of stance on this is like, having not been there, but having seen some of the videos and read the reporting, it's going to be a mix of all of those things. But the symbolism of it, the whole reason that there is a symbolism to it is that it gives a particular kind of shape or form to these different variables. So that now it's always going to have been in the case that there was a crowd in San Francisco that lit fire to a, and I hesitate to use this anthropomorphic term, defenseless <laughs> self-driving <laughs> car. I, I use that term not because I'm trying to anthropomorphize it, but just because I'm showing how even to describe what So you're what saying happened, we should have self-driving cars that can defend themselves? <laughs> well, my point is a little bit deeper than that, which is there is no way to talk about what happened without implicitly assigning a particular kind of significance to it about what pragmatically should be done in response, right? Like any ascription of agency here, like I could have said that differently. I could have said, this is the moment when San Franciscans in Chinatown finally stood up for themselves <laughs> and expressed legitimate violence <laughs> and against, against, I don't know, public surveillance, like any number of things. You, you can describe this in different ways, right? But there is no way to describe it that doesn't ascribe an agency to something over something else in a way that conveys some kind of sympathy and some kind of pragmatic focus on what is the next thing that should happen. And so I think, although my inclination, I think the Verge's inclination is to try to carve it up and say it's really about this or about that. The thing is, what it's about is the fact that, and I'm, I'm just, I'm in the mood, so I'm just gonna quote Nietzsche here, just straight up. Truth is a mobile <laughs> army of metaphors. <laughs> One of his best lines. Truth is a mobile army of metaphors. That doesn't mean it's fake. That doesn't mean it's not real. You should never believe anything. It just means that truth is dynamic. And truth is something that has to be spoken to in a way that is dynamic. And symbols are the way we give shape to that. And so there is an important symbolism here. The symbolism of, of lighting a self-driving Waymo vehicle on fire. Especially after all the cruise stuff. Especially after the fact that literally and figuratively the rubber is meeting the road. So I do think this is significant. I think that it's going to, it's, it's going to be seen probably as, a, as one of the first examples of, to be sure, a undemocratic way for popular will to express itself in anger against this degree of automated deployment of this technology. In our previous conversation about self-driving, I think it was our second episode, my stance, I was actually trying to make an opposite point, which is that we really ought to be invited to see automated driving, automated vehicle fleets as public infrastructure in the making. We're not currently being invited to do that, but if we were, 
there would be no need for this kind of tension or animosity. It wouldn't even be experienced that way because we would just see these cars as corroborating and enacting the public will rather than subverting it before it can be articulated. How does this tension emerge from products that are like non-physical? I think tracking the tension through the physical, so through the, like the, the lime scooters and other things are, like all of these things are anonymous objects, like no human harm to throw a scooter in the bay. There is downstream human harm because we don't want our water to have like miscellaneous toxic metals in it. But if you like in the direct act, there's no human harm for these things. But what does this mean for like Google having more of an AI filter on our information or something like this, or like having more of a filter, all of our algorithms are more AI filtered. Like, is there a way that people express these tensions? It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. This is almost like what we were talking about last week, which is like, how are the emotions controlled by our technology? Like, where is the touch point for AI? Like this, this Waymo thing, there's surely going to be other ideas like this, but how do people coalesce around them to protest in either fair or like what I would say, like, this is just like an, an unfair protest of Waymo. Like, how do people do that in the digital domain? You, right, you can't light ChatGPT on fire, even if you wanted to. The closest we've maybe come to that idea is something like, and I hate to bring this up again, our old friend, the author of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, who I won't, I guess I won't name his name, but who argued that we should conduct airstrikes, right, on the data centers, right, in order to, you know, basically reassert some degree of human control over what's coming down the pike, right? The issue, and and I think this does relate to last week in the sense that digital infrastructure of the kind that generative AI represents, whether that's Copilot or ChatGPT or whatever, Dolly, is now being marketed to us as if we should enter into this virtual realm and these technologies are able to give you agency at navigating that realm. That's the opposite of an automated vehicle because an automated vehicle is symbolically anyway perceived to be intruding on the reality that we already inhabit in a way that we don't know how to understand or process and at least at present do not feel empowered to feed into in a constructive way. In other words, it feels coercive rather than Yeah, I think there's still more. It's like there's more to dig into with the fact that this is a. What the car represents, because I don't think that generative AI for the average person is that empowering. I think it's marketed that way, but I think it's actually that the like digital infrastructure providers are going to creep upwards and take more authority over how you act and see like they're they're putting more of a filter and a pressure on what people are doing like. Average Joe Schmo is not going to touch a language model. It's just going to be a different layer on the stack of information processing. So, like, it's it's harder to find the community to protest. Like, if the Waymo person was alone in the world and mashed the windshield, they the car wouldn't end up being set on fire. And like, that's what you could do with ChatGPT is you go like post on Facebook, "Hey, this AI sucks." <laughs> it's like. 
<laughs> it's hard. It's hard to have a rallying call around that in the same way. Yeah, you can you can flame it. Of it. You can flame it on social media, but you can't actually burn it to the ground. And it's important because there's a dimension of politics. Some would argue that is inherently physical. This is something actually the ancient Greeks believed. They they of course in Athens in ancient Athenian democracy, there was a hill. In ancient Athens, there I shouldn't even say it that way. There is a hill still in Athens <laughs> called the uh, Pnyx. At least that's how you spell it. I'm don't speak ancient Greek. P-N-Y-X, I believe, is what it's called. And this is literally where the demos would convene. And the idea was that there were experts or magistrates or people who purported to advise the demos. And so they would get up to speak literally at a podium on this hill, but they would do so in front of an audience of thousands of people, you know, at least, picture at least 5,000 people, literally just in front of you, right? So you're not standing above them. I think actually you're just like standing literally just feet from the nearest people in this crowd. And at least the people who observed this and took part in it and the philosophers who then wrote about how actually disturbing they found it because most ancient philosophers did not like democracy. They would say it's almost like it's meant to be physically intimidating to the advisors, which of course it was. That was the whole point. <laughs> the To purport to advise popular rule should the Greeks thought feel intimidating. You should feel physically threatened. You should feel like if you say the wrong thing, or if you are offensive, then your life is on the line. And we know that to be true because that's literally what happened to Socrates. <laughs> For those who know the story, you know that he was accused of corrupting the city's youth. Often philosophers romanticize this as he's like a martyr. Actually, apparently what happened was he was invited to apologize and he basically told the 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 court to fuck off <laughs> and and they they i believe we know this now they changed their ruling they were like we were gonna just make you leave the city you've kind of now forced our hand and you have to be put to death and they actually still let him choose how he was gonna die <laughs> and they honored his choice which was to be poisoned and so that's the famous story of the hemlock slowly rising up from his toes to his knees to his to his abdomen until it hits his, his lungs and then he can't breathe anymore. And he describes this process in real time. So they really let him have it on his terms. But I think the point here is in the ancient world and specifically in that case, politics was understood to be specifically physical. And what's interesting now, this has of course been going on for decades. And this is, so in that regard, it's not new. But what's really being tested now is where and how can actual politics happen with systems whose at least economic value and also cultural significance is entirely virtual. Even if there are these material supply chains that do exist, that must exist, that are massively far removed from the means through which individual people can actually engage the interface. When the interface is so decoupled. Yeah. It, it just seems like that these type of events with the Waymo, like it's the later will be other robots in the world, those getting vandalized. Like 
these types of these stories that people can see are just going to be such an outsized narrative tool to control like how people talk about automation and AI and things because it's just it's just hard. Like that's one of my big takeaways. It's just hard to talk about like what ChatGPT is doing. Like the disruption in schools is way more important probably than whatever self-driving cars are doing right now. But that is not accessible in the same way. And, and like that's the probably the like, well-informed critical thinking thing to do is to not over-index on these examples. Take them for what they are and what they are important to do, but like try to understand where events that are just as important or not like or even more are not going to be amplified or like not going to be not going to register in emotional memory like the videos of this waymo are very visceral it's like a nor it's like an sf chinatown street that you can picture beyond being on and it's just like exactly what we described just like crowds of people like bashing the windows in with a skateboard it's like it's something that people have in movies all the time it's like it's something that we are used to seeing so we can latch onto it. Counterpoint to that point. I do feel many of the most evocative images of the civil rights movement in the United States, which went on for decades, right in the mid 20th century. But the first images that catalyzed it in popular consciousness were of schools specifically in the aftermath of Brown v. Board. Right, you had yeah. just like, we I, have, like look, I do think you could have protests in schools. <laughs> we all have these images in our head, and if you if you grew up in America, you're you're you just kind of you just suck them in, right? These images of you know little black kids being escorted by the National Guard, in whether it's Little Little Rock, which is a you know a famous kind of flashpoint of that, or the what Governor Wallace in the Deep South standing with his arms like spread i'm doing it but you can't you can't see it on my screen but standing with his arms spread in front of the doors of the school saying that he's standing up for states rights when no one else will right these are extremely powerful symbols of resistance that are specifically physical right even though they're engaged in what is really quite abstract which is these constitutional rights and how they factor into the kinds of people that should or should not be able to be in certain kinds of classrooms uh, in an integrated way, right? It's kind of many layered abstractions there. But I think partly because of the way the human mind works, maybe that's my way of connecting it to human nature, partly because of the fact that we do have bodies. Sorry, you know, transhumanists, but that's still pretty much a <laughs> severe limiter of the human experience. We are primed to think and reason and feel in this symbolic register. And the, it is, I think, still true that the most lasting and powerful symbols that we have to draw from are in a specifically embodied sphere. Now, what that means for generative AI, I actually, I don't, I don't know. And that's actually, I think, part of the anxiety that we have about it, yeah. is that we don't know what symbols can or should guide our reasoning and feeling about it. And that's why this marketing is so dangerous, which I gave the example last session of the, the Super Bowl ad of the, the co-pilot being like, the world said you're going to fail. You can prove it wrong by outsourcing it to co-pilot what you need to do. <laughs> but as Nate said, that, that is not a realistic depiction of how most people are going to interact with those capabilities 
But that is now the story. It's a it's a dominant story to describe literally in that case the politics of those types of interfaces. Yeah. I think it's it's something that will surely be revisited, I think. I'm on the record in a few places saying that in the next few years I do expect some sort of like notable AI harm to happen in some social infrastructure, like some public infrastructure to be hurt by it. Like I don't I don't think it's anywhere close to existential risk, but like somebody exposed like using AI maliciously or unintentionally having a backdoor through AI to do something like shut down a power plant or something or shut down a hospital system. Things that seem like no one directly may be affected, but have downstream consequences and people will lose their jobs or be ill or something from this. And I do think that that would be a major flashpoint for, again, like what AI is doing. But these are all going to be physical things. I think the distribution of content and that stuff is such as we're already living through this, like generative AI content, like the election obviously would be dominated by that. But it, I, the stories when we look back on AI will probably be, this Waymo incident will probably be recreated in storytelling about the evolution of AI. And it's the first of some to come. I think we don't seeing, want to see them. We're seeing glimmers of the generative AI version of this right now. I mean, we've we've been seeing it for several months now in terms of the Israel Hamas conflict. This this of course these like gener- auto generated images that even like I think in some cases legacy respected publications either without knowing or because they got sloppy, like they show them as like oh this is happening. Look at this image of these children you know, getting whatever, getting bombed or something. It's like, no, that's not a real, that's not a real image. So that's, that's one glimmer of what this can look like actually is that symbols of physical brutality and, and political violence are very much present here, but that's because they're, they're, they're itself the thing that's at stake. They're itself the thing yeah. that is being manipulated. I do want to end on this note that, you know, this is sort of my Berkeley side coming out a little bit. I don't think Nate knew this quote. There's a famous quote from Mario Savio who was sort of at the heart of the free speech movement in the early to mid-60s. And the most famous quote that he's known for when he had the megaphone on Sprout Plaza advocating for free speech above all else, he says, there is a time, I'm quoting now, there is a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. I hadn't noticed that rhyme before. You can't even <laughs> passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the yeah, levers, the famous quote. upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. It's a, it's a very famous quote. It's a powerful quote. I think it's also kind of poignant in this context. How do you put your body on the gears and upon the wheels and upon the levers of chat GPT? <laughs> or what would that even mean? We don't have, we don't know. You there don't. isn't, yeah. <laughs> that's that's why I'm saying it's it's different. Uh, it's hard. But yeah, I think that's a good place to end. I think that's really the message of this episode. It's like, think about this stuff. We don't have an answer. We did have a suggestion for another podcast fan name I said we would discuss. It was suggested instead of torts or torter or tortoises, which I know is intentionally a lot. We have the Alkies or the Alchemists. And then, Tom, you had another thing that we could be. What was it? The, 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 something I think like I, I, 
I think on I think <laughs> I on LinkedIn I suggested something like the Furies, which is oh yeah, it was also like the horror somethings. I mean, we could find it from next week. Oh, homunculus. Remember. Sorry, homunculus. Yes, homunculus. Yeah, <laughs> the homunculus is it's a term I've used on the pod before. It's a bit obscure, but fans of of the anime Full Metal Alchemist will know what, what that is. But uh, homunculus is a it's a miniature person that you raise basically in a flask, you know, from nothing. <laughs> And the al- this is an object. It was an object of medieval alchemy. It was like, can you do that? The answer, of course, is no. <laughs> you can't do it. But I, I, I think it's an interesting metaphor because the, what, what's at stake there is quite profound. Can you discover the mechanisms for an organism, right? Not just metabolism, but an entire living thing. And if you can, why can't you just create a miniature version of any living thing that you want? But it's also just kind of funny. It amuses me as a name for listeners. I'm probably partial to alchemists just because that seems so aligned with so much of our discussions. But yeah, so we appreciate the feedback. Keep them coming. It's an iterative process. It's still it's still early. Um, all that normal normal stuff. And thanks for listening. Uh, see y'all soon. It's been a quiet few weeks in AI that won't last too long. Bye for now. Bye, everyone.